Welcome back, everybody. Happy New Year 2020. How are you? 2021. Excuse me, I already messed it up. 2021, we've been patiently waiting. Here it is. Uh, Impact is on podcast. Trent Bally here with my guys, as always, Luke Sloan, Brennan Shabbat. We apologize for yet another hiatus. I, I, I know we're just kind of like not on our game right now, but listen, we're college students, cut us some slack, round break right now. We had exams, then the holidays. But listen, we're back. We got another semester on the horizon, so we will get back to our weekly format. But while we were gone, oh boy, was there a lot to talk about. Michigan State lost two more games uh, to make it a three-game losing streak. Started Big Ten play 0-3. But they've since had a bit of a stride with uh, wins over Nebraska last week and number 15 Rutgers on Tuesday night. So, fellas, let's just get after it. But first, I want to ask you guys, actually, how was your New Year's? Uh, how was New Year's Eve? What'd you do? Did you have a good time? Luke? Yeah, it was a pretty – it was a steady break as it went. You know, saw a little bit of family here or there. You know, Christmas was good. New Year's was good. I'm a big family guy, so I'm always enjoying the the holidays. Good time of year. Took down the Christmas tree here in the Sloan household a couple of days ago. It was yeah, like putting something to rest. It, yeah. it was a sad moment. But, I mean, it was a roller coaster for this Michigan State team because, I mean, the last time we recorded a podcast, I think they were kind of on an upswing, like right after Virginia got canceled. Yep. And then they got into a downswing early in break, and now they're swinging up again. So, yeah. I mean, it's been a roller coaster for this team. The pendulum has swung, and we will get all to all of it in a second. But, Brendan, how are you doing? You hanging in there? You know, I was, I was plagued by a typical college disease this break, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> a four-letter one. I'll leave it up to the viewers. I to, didn't want to uh, disclose the information. I wanted to leave it up to you. But, yeah, it's yes, Brendan. Yeah. Brendan? Well, well, it, start, it starts with an M and ends with an O, and it's four letters. If you can't figure that out. Uh, I was unfortunate enough to get that. It really sucked to start the break. By New Year's, I was feeling a little bit better. Um, so, But the plan was to be back in East Lansing and having fun with my roommates and people that I've hung out with this year. That didn't happen. But it was nice. Uh, I hung out with the family here. We actually started the Star Wars trilogy um, in storyline order. So we watched some of the movies that night, which was fun. I, I will say, I don't. I don't suggest watching them in the correct storyline order. If you're going to watch all the Star Wars movies, watch them as they were released. I agree. I agree. I'm a big I'm a big release date guy. Like you have to yeah, watch the originals first. Right for that you watch the originals and then you get context and then you add a bunch of extra context that was unneeded. But mm-hmm. that's neither here nor there. This is not the Star Wars is own. This is Impact is own. Here we go. Let's roll, guys. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about hoops. Uh, let's talk about that losing streak first, though, for Michigan State, losing three games in a row. Um, so, Brendan, I want to ask you first. It's great to have you back. Great to hear your voice. What were the biggest problems that you kind of saw during that skit? And, and was it a fluke as we now see the team kind of taking back off? You know, it's weird that you bring up the word I – wouldn't, I wouldn't say weird, but it's interesting that you bring up the word fluke because I think their skid was foreseen – I think we could have seen it coming in the games against Notre Dame where a 28-point lead diminishes to 10 against yeah, yeah. Duke where they're up like 16 in the second half and win by a couple. You know, games against Detroit Mercy where they were close the whole game. Oakland they struggled a little bit with. They gave Rashad Williams 36 points. I think people could have seen this coming, but I don't know if it's going to happen moving forward the same issues. And, and in my opinion, it's just a little too soon. 
The Nebraska win is good. The Rutgers win is really good. But I'm not sure if Michigan State is out of the tunnel yet. There's still too many people that go quiet. Rocket Watts was really quiet in the Rutgers game until the second half. Joey Hauser was a little bit invisible. Um, I've been really impressed with Aaron Henry, though. He's someone that I've been thinking has needed to step up. He was really quiet and lackluster in their three-game skid, and he's since stepped up. And I think that might be one of the pillars of this team moving forward is relying on Aaron Henry. Yeah, Aaron Henry's a big uh, cornerstone. That's something we will definitely be talking about coming up here. But Sloan, I'll ask you, what were your takeaways from the from the losing streak? Yeah, I think a fluke is an interesting word because, I mean, it does need to be noted that there were a couple of shooting performances this team had that are just unprecedented. Thinking about that Northwestern game and then that Minnesota game. I mean, this team just has way too much talent and way too many shot makers for, you know, streaks like that to continue. So, I mean, everybody out there on MSU Twitter who was saying, you know, or I don't know if it was a ton of people, but anybody out there saying, oh, man, that NCAA tournament streak, man, that might be coming to an end this year. I don't want to sound like a homer, but that was a big time overreaction. I mean, they got out of it by starting to play Michigan State basketball again. I mean, Izzo said it after Rutgers defend, rebound, run. I mean, they really started defending a lot better coming out of that losing streak. But, I mean, it's not like they lost to, to bad teams either. I mean, that's a good Northwestern team. Chris Collins coached Minnesota, even though they lost to Michigan the other night. That's a good team as well. But, I mean, this team has had three-game losing streaks in Big Ten play the last two seasons. So maybe this year has just came a little bit early. Yeah, that's a great stat, Sloan, because I was actually going to ask you guys, you know, usually these bumps in the road kind of happen. It's a trademark thing with Michigan State basketball, um, and I mean that in a good way. It, it, it usually happens a little closer March, and Tom Izzo, you know, uses those bumps in the road, kind of tunes the team up for tournament time. Are you a little concerned that the kind of the disruption and rhythm happened a little earlier in the season as opposed to later? You know, I think – it's weird because I look at it at the in-state team like Michigan, right? And uh, we'll talk about them later, but Michigan's on a roll right now. Yeah. It doesn't look like anybody can stop them. But I also don't think that's a team that can keep up this level of play all the way until mid-March. So it's kind of not if but when. They're just going to stutter. And I feel like if you're a team like Michigan State and you're a coach like Izzo, not only does it make more sense logically that this is going to happen early in the year, but I think you'd rather have it happen early in the year. Michigan State really hasn't had a, a, a huge game yet as far as Big Ten implications go. They still got to play teams like Iowa and Illinois, Michigan, Ohio State, a lot of teams that they haven't played yet uh, that will shift who's going to win the Big Ten. And I think if you're going to have uh, some of these pitfalls, you'd rather have them early in the season as a coach and, and get them figured out. And I don't think that means they're not going to lose another game moving forward in the Big Ten, but I think they're on the right track right now. Yeah, I agree with you, Brendan. I mean, this Big Ten season is going to be something like we've never seen before. I mean, every team is going to have their two or three game losing streak. I mean, you saw pretty cold starts to the Big Ten season for someone like Illinois, Indiana started off winless after a couple games and both those teams have bounced back really nicely. You know, you talk about Michigan, they're off to a hot start, Iowa, you know, they're off to a hot start. I know they lost to Minnesota over break, but every team is going to take their lumps at some point in this conference. Everyone's just going to cannibalize each other. It's just too many good teams all put together 
And I think, you know, maybe this is, it's a benefit that this little skid happened earlier in the season. They were able to get that adversity out of the way, get used to kind of playing with a little bit more pressure so that when it inevitably comes up again later in the season, they're a little bit more prepared to bounce back. So, I mean, lumps and bumps in the road, I mean, it's going to be a brutal road for every team. So I don't think that we need to look at those lumps and bumps as a big negative. I'd look at it as a positive for seeing how the, this team digged itself out of a hole because that's going to be, you know, big. I mean, there's a lot of Big Ten games left to play. Yeah, like you guys mentioned, the adversity is just something that you see every season with every team, depending on, you know, what, what the bumps and bruises actually are. But uh, just to list it for the people, the three-game losing streak was an uninspired effort against Northwestern, and then it was a pretty respectable loss to Wisconsin on Christmas Day at home, but then getting absolutely trounced by Minnesota. Um, and then getting back on track with the winning streak. But, guys, I want to say this. I, I, I want to ask you guys. The Spartan faithful all want to know, is winning the Big Ten completely out of the picture now for Michigan State after the 0-3 start, Brendan? No, but it's going to be a lot more difficult. You know, Trent, you and I were talking pre-recording about after this Purdue game, Michigan State's got one of the toughest and largest four-game stretches of the season. They've got Iowa, they've got Illinois, Indiana. Uh, they got Rutgers again, Ohio State's after that. Um so three losses right now this early in the season, no. And I think I think the team that's going to win the Big Ten, whoever that may be, is going is going to be somewhere around five or six losses in the conference. I think I think if Iowa or Wisconsin can make it through Big Ten play with just five, that'll probably be the outright. But you know, I I, I don't think Michigan State is in a prime position to win to win the Big Ten. Can they do it? Yes. Do I expect them to though? No, I think it's going to be too hard for them to get away with, you know, winning 90% of the games that they have left, which is what they're going to need to do. I see them sitting more around seven or eight conference losses, probably closer to seven, um, which is definitely not going to win the Big Ten. But, you know, we'll see. They're not in a terrible position, but it's definitely they have an uphill road for sure. I think that it's not impossible, but I, it's definitely an uphill road. I mean, they sit at two and three right now in the Big Ten. I mean, maybe because the Big Ten is such a good conference this year, the winner maybe goes 14 and six. I think that might be a little optimistic to say the winner is going to go 14 and six just because there will probably be a better team. But let's play with that scenario. If that scenario were to play out, Michigan State would have to go 12 and three the rest of the way starting Friday tomorrow against Purdue. I'm not saying that's impossible. You know, they'd have to go on a hell of a run to get going and finish 12 and three in conference play. But I mean, I think, you know, year after year, they'll hit a skid and they'll bounce back and people will say you can never count on a Tom Izzo team. And once again, I think that's going to ring true again this year. So I'm not going to count it out. But I mean, in this deep Big Ten, I mean, they could end up losing, you know, seven, maybe eight games in conference. I mean, who knows? I mean, it's just, just such a deep conference, so deep that we've, we've never seen it like this before. Yeah, and because of that, that, that's the thing. There's no nights off in the Big Ten. And we saw that with Michigan State in their very first game of the season. Northwestern, who's expected or who was expected prior to the season to be a bottom two Big Ten team with Nebraska. You know, Nebraska Northwestern coming into the season were the two teams that you could count on to be down there and you were going to win those games. Not anymore. Northwestern got off to a hot three-game start. Nebraska's a lot better than they were before. And Minnesota was a team who a lot of people thought would step back with the loss of Daniel O'Toole. They've come out, 
they beat Iowa. They beat Michigan State handedly. You know, they're a good team. Penn State was close with Michigan to start the season. There's just not going to be a night off in the Big Ten. You're going to have to bring your A game every single night. I think I'll do you one better. I mean, we got to see this Nebraska team up close in person. And, I mean, it's not a perfect team. They're going to end up finishing last in the conference. Probably all three of us can agree that they will. But the trio of Delano Banton, Teddy Allen, and Trey McGowans, that's enough firepower to upset a team maybe once, twice, three times in a Big Ten season. And Fred Hoiberg, I mean, you can, you know, talk about how he flamed out with the Chicago Bulls and how bad they were last year and stuff. He won big at Iowa State. And, you know, you don't just forget how to coach. So, really, there is no game in this Big Ten that you can take off, like you said, Brendan. I mean, Nebraska, they have the firepower to go out and knock someone off. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. Yeah, different sport. But when you say forget how to coach, my mind just goes to Matt Patricia, the Detroit Lions. But whatever, that's neither here nor there. I just had to throw that in. Guys, you guys talk about the dog-eat-dog in the Big Ten. I completely agree. As someone who picked the Spartans to win this conference at the beginning of the season, I also said I don't think it's going to be outright. Like, I think there's going to be a share that goes on here. And absolutely, I mean, like, after the three-game start, you think, you know, all hope is lost for this team. But after seeing how well they played against Nebraska and then um, Rutgers the other night, you know, we're, we're, we'll, let's dive into those now. Let's unpack the, the good stuff, the, the win. So uh, first let's talk about Nebraska. Back on the second day of this new year, uh, the Spartans defeated the Cornhuskers 84-77 to on the road. Aaron Henry uh, had a very impressive 27 points on 10 for 16 from the field in that one. Joshua Langford, arguably his best offensive outing of the season, he had 15 points. And A.J. Hogard got the start at point guard, uh, stuffed the stat sheet with four points, five assists, three rebounds, and a pair of blocks. Rocket Watts, of course, coming off the bench for nine points. Gabe Brown with 10 off the bench. So this team really <clears throat> got back to its old ways. So, Brendan, what were your big takeaways from that game? I really liked A.J. Hogard at the, at the starting point guard spot. I thought that was a move from Izzo that I didn't expect and I didn't see coming, and I knew – he said it uh, after Watts came out and said that he doesn't like playing the point guard and he wants to go back to the two spot, but I still expected lawyer to get the start. And I just expected to a AJ to naturally play more. I didn't expect Hogard to start, but he started and I was really impressed with him. And I think, you know, I feel like, I feel like a Michigan fan after the Wolverines get a new quarterback, Harbaugh found his quarterback, but I think it's might've found his point guard moving forward you know I, I really like Hogarth's poise he, he he never looks flustered or worried about his defender or frightened by you know the big guys in the Big Ten he's he's a solid player who's calm he's got some work to do physically and athletically uh, he's got to get a little bit faster and a little bit stronger but you can see just watching the game he knows basketball he knows the ins and outs he knows how to move a defense around to get people where they need to be and I was really impressed with that. Yeah, he's a, he's a national point guard, I think, to say the least. And, and Luke, I'll let you elaborate on it because I know you probably have a couple thoughts there as well. I was just going to ask both of you guys how surprised you were with this move to the starting point guard spot for A.J. Hogard. I mean, you know, Foster Lawyer started in – Foster Lawyer started, uh, you know, for the Minnesota game. That's That Minnesota game is kind of where Tom Izzo started to say, all right, we're moving Rocket Watts back off the ball. He started Foster Lawyer in that game. I think starting Hogard is a pretty progressive move for Izzo. I mean, kind of given the keys to the car over to a true freshman point guard, I mean, I think it's paid off really well. But, I mean, 
that took a lot of guts, I think, from Izzo. And I think it's been a big part of this turnaround. But I just wanted to ask how surprised you guys were with that move. Because, I mean, it probably rubbed people. I mean, considering that Izzo is a loyalist with players that have been in his system, it could have been surprising. Yeah, you know, I kind of was worried when I first saw it. I mean, they're coming off a three-game losing streak. And their freshman, who has only played in garbage time, who's looked good in the minutes that I've seen from him, but he comes in and he's only really played in garbage time in any of these games. It's, it's, I kind of was like, oh, Jesus, they're, this team's in trouble. You know, they don't know what they're doing. This might not be a good game. We might go to four straight uh, games lost. But, you know, uh, Hogard shut me up pretty quick and, and proved that he knows what he's doing. And I really liked his passing. You know, he ended he ended with five assists, and I think Rocket Watts is averaging four or five assists. Now, now Watts' passing has been significantly better or significantly improved from last season. But, you know, if you can still have Watts in a comfortable position and getting 10, 12, 15 points a game while Hogard is at the one and dishing out five or six assists, I don't see anything wrong with that rather than Watts being at the one, you know? So I, I really like the move and I think it's worked out so far. I think it worked out really well in the Nebraska game and the Rutgers game. And, you know, hopefully for Michigan state, it continues. Yeah. If you're a Michigan state fan, I think you have to be pretty fired up about Hogard just seeing him play. Cause he probably is a four-year player here and you just, you, you've got your point guard, you know, like you guys said, Cassius Winston is out the door and you were blessed for so long there for such an incredible point guard play. And you never have to worry about your one messing things up. So uh, it, it was, it was nice to see Hogard get, get some run uh, significant run. And like you said, Brennan, fantastic passer. He really seems comfortable in the offense and he handled himself very professionally uh, in, in the time that he got. So you like to see that, but guys, I also, I want to, I want to talk about the end of the Nebraska game ended up being a little closer than it should have been. And I, I just, you know, Brendan, you mentioned this was a bit of a trend early in the season, Notre Dame, Detroit Mercy, the Duke game, you know, and things of that nature. So what do you guys, what, what, what do you think needs to happen to assure that this trend doesn't continue? Brendan, I'll go to you first. They have to get the mindset of stepping on teams throats midway through the second half. And I think they need to have that mindset whether they're they're winning, they're losing, it's tied, they're down oh, by 50. Just real quick, you know what? Like, I think they did that against Rutgers, and we'll get to that game in a little bit. Yeah. But that game, you know, yeah. up six at half, I believe, and ended up rolling them. So, yeah, that's a great yeah, game. Yeah, and that, and, that, and that is very improved. But I, I think going forward, they need to act, you know, in the second half, 10 minutes left in the second half, like they have a 10-point lead every single game and try to get that lead to 30. Uh, because Izzo said it against Nebraska, a 17-point lead should get to 30. It shouldn't get to eight or whatever it did, you know, and a 20-point lead against Notre Dame should not get to 10 points, like we mentioned early in the season. And it's going if, – if, if they don't fix this, a team like Rutgers is, is a team that I think is going to come back to bite you if you, if you don't do it. And, and that's why they were able to win that game because they kept their foot on the pedal and kept pushing forward and extending the lead. A team like Iowa, a team like Illinois – Michigan, Ohio State, these teams are going to come back to bite you if you don't step on their throats when you have the chance. So Michigan State has to work on that and they have to not, you know, get the mindset that like, okay, we're up 10. We've been winning this whole game. You know, we can relax and slow down. The defense has to stay strong. They've got to stay good on the ball. They have to stay strong down in the post 
and they still have to get out in transition. Yeah, I think of that Nebraska game specifically. They just kind of got their feet stuck in the mud defensively in the last like five to ten minutes of that game. Yeah, they just didn't have the same energy as they had early, and they had great energy against Nebraska early in that game defensively. You know, they had a hard time guarding without fouling late against the Cornhuskers, but really against Rutgers, you know, they their fast break was fantastic against the Scarlet Knights. I mean, they got out and ran and, you know, scored a ton of points in, in, off fast break, off fast breaks. And they kept that up in the second half. I mean, as the under eight came and then the under four, I mean, you still saw them pushing the pace and playing their playing at their pace in transition and getting buckets. And I mean, they just built that point, that lead up to a point where it was in, you know, insurmountable for Nebraska, I think, or for Rutgers in that game. But I agree with you, Brendan. It's just about keeping your foot on the throat, you know, slamming that door shut um, and, you know, keeping it locked in for a full 60 minutes. I mean, it's a different atmosphere, not having fans and playing in a pandemic. And I don't know if that's been a part of it, you know, in closing these games, you know, having a little bit of extra energy from the crowd when you you are laboring late in the game. But I think they did a, a better job against that, like against Rutgers, like you were saying, Trent. Well, let's dive right into it then. I mean, uh, closing games, definitely something to keep an eye on for the Spartans coming up. But let's talk about a game where they did rise up and slam the door in the second half. And that was the Rutgers game happening on Tuesday night here in East Lansing. Spartans rolled the Scarlet Knights 68 to 45 at home and perhaps the most impressive one of the season. I'll get your guys' thoughts on that in a second. But Aaron Henry with a second consecutive 20 point game. Uh, He finished with 20 points, eight rebounds, four blocks, a pair of steals. Great defensive night from him. And that really set the tone for the team. Um, Josh Langford, again, finding double digits with 11 points. Joey Hauser with nine points and 14 rebounds, just one point away from the double-double. A.J. Hogard gets the start yet again. Nothing really jumps off the sheet at you, but he did stuff the stat sheet once again. Three points, six assists, three rebounds, two steals, one block. Rocket Watson, his bench roll, scoring 11. So, guys, I have to imagine, I want to get your thoughts. Luke, I'll go to you first on this one. Uh, Defense has to be a big uh, takeaway from this one, no? Yeah, I think defensively, that's going to be the story in this game. I mean, there were a lot of threats on this Rutgers team. You know, Ron Harper Jr., Izzo said it before the game, one of the best players in the country. You know, Aaron Young, Montez Mathis, two wings who can score 15 points per game. You know, the big man, uh, Miles Johnson in the middle, he's a good player. Geo Baker, you know, watching some, you know, tape from that or from that Iowa game, Geo Baker got to the middle of the floor, got to the elbows, and made a lot of shots. They cut hit the middle of the floor off for him. He was really uncomfortable early. And then Ron Harper Jr. too, they got him in foul trouble, which was really key. You know, they ran a lot of different guys at him. You know, it was Aaron Henry at times, Hauser at times, Kithier at times. They got him in foul trouble. They got him a little bit frustrated. He's a, he's a guy who's going to physically, you know, kind of bully you on the offensive end. And it was key that they got him kind of flustered. But on offense too, during that losing streak, this team settled for a lot of jump shots, didn't attack the rim, get to the free throw line. And that was something that Izzo really implored his team that they needed to do better. And whether it was Watts, whether it was Henry, even Langford a little bit, Hauser got in the paint, got to the line. They really pushed the issue, got to the free throw line where they have a lot of guys who can make free throws consistently from the line. You think of Henry, Hauser, Watts is a great free throw shooter. They really just forced the issue, which was good to see because I thought during that losing streak, they took a lot of bad shots, took a lot of bad jump shots, um, especially when there's so many good slashers on this team. I mean, who can stop the, you know, 
you know, Aaron Henry at his size and with his wingspan and then rocket Watts with his speed. I mean, these are guys who can win in isolation. So I think they really hit a key right there when they started doing that more. Yeah. There's, there's a couple things on this box score that stand out to me from this game. Obviously the defense is really good holding uh, Ron Harper jr. Geo Baker and Jacob young to a combined 29 points is really nice. Those guys are supposed to combine for 40 or 45 points every night especially Ron Harper Jr. only holding him to 13, I think five of 12 shooting, you know, that's a, that's a really off night for him. And he's been electric since this season started. One of the best players in the country, uh, in my opinion, one of the best guards, Michigan state shut him down really well. That was really good to see. Obviously the shooting numbers for Rutgers stand out 35% from the field, 5% from three Michigan state forced nine turnovers. Um, AJ Hogard, the stat stood out to me, six assists and only two turnovers. I think that's a really good thing against a team like Rutgers who plays pretty good defense. Uh, they're a pretty sound defensive team. And Brendan Quinn brought up a good point um, about Michigan State's turnovers. They had way too many in this game. They had 18 turnovers. They had, I think, 11 or 14 in the first half. And that's not a number that can stay that high if, if you want to keep winning. But their defense was able to shut it down on the other side. But um, Brendan Quinn brought up a good point uh, to subdue the – the turnover craze and and people being worried about the turnovers was these were turnovers made out of aggression and not passive indecision, which I think was perfectly worded. These were not, Oh, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. I'm scared. It was, I'm going to go make a play. Oops. I lost the ball, you know? And I think that's, that's, there's a big difference between those two. And I think there's a big difference in Michigan state's past few games. I think a lot of them were passive and indecisive turnovers. These ones were more aggressive. I think, I think that was a really good thing to see. It yeah, might kind of sound silly. Well, go, go ahead. Were you going to say, Trent? Go I was going to say, it might, it might kind of sound silly, but your good Michigan State basketball team, like thinking back to last year's team and, and the 2018-19 team, you're going to live with the turnovers because Tom Izzo wants his team to play aggressively. You defend, rebound, run. He doesn't care if you're being aggressive, attacking, and you lose the ball you know, on a fast break or, if you know, someone has a great backdoor cut to the rim and you try to throw it inside and it gets tipped. The, the aggressive turnovers are what, you know, Izzo encourages his team to be aggressive and, you know, you, those are better than, you know, dead ball turnovers, or like you said, Brendan, those hesitation plays, it, it, it kind of tells you that they're getting back into what they want to do on offense when they're turning the ball over like that. And not like that. It's like you said, Brendan, it's kind of like a weird measuring stick but it's kind of like a more comfort level and it's what we're used to seeing. Yeah. The Spartans had 14 turnovers in that first half. And, you know, to your guys' point about the aggressiveness, didn't really seem like 14. I mean, I, I know no number above like eight is good at all. I mean, that's terrible for one half of basketball, especially in college, just 20 minutes. But um, I mean, that was damn near a turnover a minute for the Spartans, but it was, not a train wreck you know you're still up six and a half and a lot of that was due to your defense and Tom Izzo called it the best defensive performance he's seen from his team in in several years he, he said that post game so a big reason for that with the four blocks and two steals was Aaron Henry and he was also brilliant on the offensive end so I want to pose the question to you guys uh this is a guy who you know Naismith player of the year watch list before the season you know high expectations the bar is high. He was supposed to be your leader and your guy. And early in the season, you kind of saw Hauser take on that role. And now it looks like Aaron Henry is starting to turn the corner. So I want to ask you guys, has Aaron Henry arrived? 
Do you think he can sustain this level of play? Brendan, we'll go to you first. Has Aaron Henry arrived? I don't know. Do I think he can sustain this level of play? Yes. I think this is stuff that we've, that we saw in the Duke game. Um, I think this is stuff we saw against Notre Dame, him just being a leader and kind of the LeBron James of this team where he's going to do a little bit of everything. He really went quiet towards the end of the non-conference and especially in the start of the Big Ten. Um, but even in the start of Big Ten play and the loss to Northwestern, the loss to Minnesota, he was still the leading scorer on this team. It was only, I think, 11 in each game. But, um, you know, I think he can't keep it up. And I think he doesn't have a choice. If he wants to win, I think he's going to have to keep it up. You know, Michigan State goes as Aaron Henry goes now. And, uh, yeah, he, he really doesn't have a choice. I think he's not proven yet that this is going to be a, a, an every time thing. And he's bound to have an off night here. And, it, you know, the other guys just have to be ready to pick him up. Joey Hauser, Josh Langford, Rocket Watts are going to have to be prepared to take over on a night that Aaron Henry just isn't having his best game. But I think we're definitely going to see some more of what we've seen in the past two games moving forward. Yeah, I agree with you, Brendan. I don't want to like overreact and think that, you know, Oh, you know, this is the Aaron Henry that we're going to see the rest of the season. You know, there's definitely going to be opportunities moving forward for him to continue to prove that he has, you know, continued to arrive. But I really was pleased with watching the role he kind of took on as defensive captain in this game. I mean, you know, I'd, I'd say Xavier Tillman was the defensive captain last year for this Michigan State team, making sure people were in the right places defensively on the floor, you know, hyping up teammates on the bench and really just kind of locking in everyone and setting a tone. Xavier Tillman was that tone setter on defense last year for Michigan State. And what we've seen in the last couple of games is Aaron Henry being that tone setter as well. But, you know, talking about this defense as a whole, Aaron Henry in the lead, I think that this team has an opportunity to play some fantastic perimeter defense the rest of the season. I mean, especially now with A.J. Hogard stepping into that point guard spot, he's 6'3 and can guard some bigger guys. And even, you know, he can you can switch and he can guard bigger guys. Joshua Langford, he's a good perimeter defender. Rocket Watts had one of the better games defensively I've seen him have as a Spartan against Rutgers, staying in front of people, especially Geo Baker and then Aaron Henry, of course. You know, opposing wings are going to have tough matchups against Michigan state. Cause there's so many guys that can run off them. Yeah. Luke, you bring up a fantastic point and I want to pose the question to you guys on, on offense. Cause from my point of view, it lo- this offense looks completely different over the last two wins uh, as a, you know, compared to that three game losing streak, it seems to be running more through Henry and racket Watts and even Hogard and Gabe Brown a little bit, instead of just dumping it down to Joey Hauser and letting him go get you a bucket. Now, I definitely think if this team is going to hit its ceiling, Joey Hauser needs to be a go-to bucket getter, like game-to-game consistently. But, you know, he only had nine points in the Rutgers game. That's nothing to scoff at, of course, but he had 27 on Christmas against Wisconsin. So, Brendan, I want to ask you, which style of offense do you trust more from this team, and how do you think that's going to affect them going forward? Well, I think we haven't seen enough of Hogard running this offense. Um, I really don't have a good – uh, take on how he is in the pick and roll. And, you know, with Cassius Winston at the helm for the past four years, Michigan State has become a very pick and roll heavy offense. And against the Rutgers game in that first half when Michigan State was struggling a little bit, I uh, the thought occurred to me that this offense that they have now is too similar 
to the Cassius Winston one. There's still too many of the same sets that run the same way, too many of the same pick and rolls that, and, you know, it gets stagnant because Cassius Winston is one of the greatest pick and roll maestros to ever walk the streets of East Lansing, you know, and there's nobody that can replicate what he was able to do. Um, I definitely think though, that you bring up a good point with Joey Hauser. And, you know, we, we mentioned it, uh, I think on the first podcast of this season, Joey Hauser is going to be a really cool and interesting tool for Tom Izzo that we haven't really had before, you know, a stretch big that can expand the offense, shoot the three. Um, you know, he's battled some injuries that have, you know, probably kept him at not a hundred percent in some games, nothing major yet, uh, thankfully, but I definitely think more offense needs to run through Hauser. I think he needs to get his shot up more, get to the line a little bit more. And that I think will open up things for other players, but they're just way too stagnant right now sometimes, especially against a zone. I think a zone is where you can really utilize Hauser. That a zone where is is when you move the ball around quickly enough, you're gonna find open three-point shooters. And if Hauser can get out there on the perimeter and knock down a three against the zone, this offense is gonna be pretty deadly. Yeah, I think you made a really good point about the pick and roll. Cause I mean, that's it, you know, watching Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman operate in the pick and roll, you know, the last two years, really since Xavier Tillman started starting on a consistent basis when Nick Ward got injured, you know, in the middle part of that season, you know, it was a, a lot of fun to watch. We'll see if AJ Hogard is a pick and roll point guard. I think he could be, you know, they, there were a couple of pick and roll plays with him and Kithier. Um, where he had, he dropped some a couple of nice passes inside to Kithier off the screen against Nebraska that I liked that were promising. Kind of went away against Rutgers a little bit, but Miles Johnson, I thought he defended the pick and roll really well uh, when he was up in the high post for Rutgers. But Kithier is a really good pick and roll guy. I think he's a good screener and he always seems like he gets open and he has good hands. So I think that definitely has some potential moving forward for this offense. And then Joey Hauser, too. I agree with you, Brendan. I'd like to see him hunt his shot a little bit more, get a little bit more aggressive. You know, Aaron Henry's had some success on offense because he's gotten more aggressive. You know, people, you know, he took a lot of bad jump shots against, you know, Minnesota Northwestern, even in that Wisconsin game. And people could kind of stand back and, you know, they'd play off him a little bit and let him shoot. But he started forcing the issue driving pulling up or driving all the way to the rim and it forced people to guard him a little bit more and really opened up his game I'd like to see the same for Joey Hauser we'll see how much that knee injury is hampering him because you know that could be a factor that we're not talking about Izzo hasn't really been talking about it so I don't think that's why I I think that's why people haven't been talking about it but I'd really like to see him get more aggressive getting to the basket that'll force guys to play off him a little bit and he's a great shooter and he'll make those all day so just kind of, you know, intimidating or imitating Henry by really, you know, getting on the attack. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I think that this offense is going to be at its best when it's through Aaron Henry. Maybe you can run some pick and rolls and pick and pops, even with Joey Hauser, as he's a fantastic shooter. But um, guys, one more question I want to ask really regarding the last four or five games before we look ahead to the Purdue game uh, this Friday what 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 the hell is going on in the front court? Like, has your opinion changed at all? You know, the last few games, the minutes have just kind of fluctuated a lot for these guys. We've talked all season about this log jam of these four or five viable guys. You know, even Madi Sissoko got some early run in the uh, Rutgers win. So I just want to ask you guys, have you gotten any more clarity? Has your position changed? You know, Thomas Kithier continues to start. 
you know, I just, I, Brendan, I'll, I'll go to you first because I know you probably have some thoughts on this, but what, what's going on with the front court situation? I, I think the front court situation is honestly less clear now than it was at the start of the season. I would agree. I'm like, I'm confused up in arms. Yeah, because I was at early in the season in the non-conference, I was really impressed with Marcus Bingham. I thought he had improved a lot. I thought he showed a lot more confidence being out there on the floor. Obviously, I'm not in practice, but clearly Izzo sees something that I don't in practice and Bingham hasn't played it all recently. Um, I thought Julius Marble played well in the games that he's gotten in. Um, he was nowhere against Rutgers. And, you know, Marty Sissoko gets in, does a couple of nice things defensively. Um, I thought Thomas Kithier, I was ready for him to be shipped out of the starting lineup. Since I've said that, he's played a little bit better, I think. I think he's done more impactful things. Obviously, the coaching staff has talked about him doing all the little things right. I think you can only do so many little things before it doesn't matter but he started to do more big things since then that have contributed to wins and stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's any clearer picture of this front court now than we had, you know, six weeks ago. Yeah. You know, I haven't been the biggest Thomas Kithier supporter in terms of, you know, having him in that starting lineup, but he, I think he had his best game as a Spartan against Nebraska. I mean, he didn't stuff the stat sheet, but he, it's a fantastic screen and roll guy. He set some great screens in that game. He really was in, he was like Izzo always says, and I've started to pay more attention to him. He was in the right spot consistently. The only concern I have with Kithier is that, you know, he can play fantastic defense on a bigger guy like a Miles Johnson or a Travion Williams. That's a hint for this Purdue game or a Luca Garza or a Hunter Dickinson. I mean, you can line up all the big men in this conference he can play fantastic defense and still lose those battles because he's just six, eight and undersized. So we'll see how much he sticks. And like you said, Brendan, you know, how long can you survive on just doing those little things before, you know, you might be outgunned in a matchup versus like a Dickinson or a Garza. I'm not going to sound the alarm yet because he hasn't had those matchups yet, but I think him and Hauser are here to stay for sure. Hauser, obviously uh, Marty Suzoko, I've seen some really good things for him defensively offensively I think he's very limited at this point I mean they don't even use him in pick and roll they don't have him screen a ton he just is kind of out there looking for an offensive rebound when they're in a half court set which isn't a problem uh what were you gonna say Brandon oh I was just gonna wait for you to finish but I just had I'm not sure if Izzo's going to do this but I have been you know you brought up people like Dickinson and Garza and Coburn and stuff like that moving forward I'm wondering if Izzo is going to take – he said he watched the NBA bubble a lot, and I thought the Los Angeles Lakers had a really interesting approach against the Denver Nuggets. Obviously, Nikola Jokic, one of, the, in my opinion, top five or six players in the league, uh, a really good – definitely one of the best bigs. Uh, the Lakers threw a bunch of different bigs at him. Not a lot of guys that are going to produce on a night-in and night-out basis, but – you know, they threw in JaVale McGee and then Dwight Howard and then Anthony Davis and then somebody else to defend him and kind of wore him down. I think with this huge logjam at front court, Michigan State does have an opportunity to kind of do a similar thing against a guy like Garza and Dickinson and Kofi Coburn and stuff. I'd give Tom Izzo a lot of credit if that's the approach he took. I mean, like I said, he's kind of a foxhole guy who's going to kind of ride with his guys and you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him just roll with 
you know, someone, it could be Kithier, it could be anyone in a one-on-one matchup and they could win that matchup or they could lose that matchup. I mean, I, I think that would be easily preferable if I was in Tommy Zoe's shoes. I mean, obviously I'm not a college basketball coach. I don't want to act like one, but I'd give him a lot of credit for another real progressive move, uh, coaching move if he did that, because I mean, they can run, Julius Marble at him. They can run Bingham at him. They can even, you know, Joey Hauser guarded Miles Johnson a little bit against Rutgers. They can run him at these bigs. I think considering the personnel this team has, that's really the only option. Yeah, very rich in that front court, as you guys just elaborated on. Malik Hall is another guy that I want to see a lot more of. And, and Luke, you said it. I'm not a college basketball coach, nor do I want to be. I mean, that'd be pretty cool, but I don't want that kind of pressure. Um, I'm not going to question Tom Izzo. But I will say I'm a little apprehensive that there's not much clarity in this front court. Like, I understand it's nice sometimes to have that guy who can come off the bench save the day, you know, like Julius Marble, who didn't play at all against Rutgers. You know, he could be the reason that, you know, if your ass is on the line against Michigan, he comes in and scores eight straight buckets or something like that, or eight straight points. Like, I could see something like that happening, but it just, it's not, there's no consistency in who's getting run in the front court, Brennan. Yeah, and I, I love your point about Malik Hall. I think I can't uh, believe Malik Hall doesn't get more play. He's such a he's such an uh, old guy. You'd think. Yeah, and oh. he's such a he's such a like a Dennis Rodman type player on this love team. Him. And yeah. I feel like there's no way Izzo doesn't love him, and everybody else on the team does. It. I love him the way he he's never not working hard. He's 110 percent all the time. He's but he's strong. not he's not going to kill you on anything either. He's not bad at anything. Yeah, he's I mean he's he's he can shoot a little bit too, you know? Yeah, exactly. He's he lacks some of the offensive prowess of a guy like Joey Hauser and Aaron Henry and Rocket Watts, and that's obvious. But in Michigan State's two biggest wins of the season last year at Seton Hall and at Maryland, coincidentally, Malik Hall has two, had his two best games of the season. He went, I think, seven for seven from the floor last year against Seton Hall, you know, Malik Hall is a guy that can go out there and get you 10 or 12 points if you give him that opportunity. And they're not going to be give it to Malik Hall and get out of the way. It's give it to Aaron Henry. He misses. Guess who's there for the offensive rebound? Shocker. It's our toughest player, our hardest worker, Malik Hall, you know, the bruiser. And I think he has to get more run in this Big Ten conference if if they're going to be successful. That's just my opinion. He's a really good defender. He's a really good rebounder. And he's going to get you some buckets here and there. I'll pose this to you guys. I'm not saying this is what gets Joey Hauser going. He's trying this with Rocket Watts right now, bringing him off the bench, kind of that Vinnie Johnson microwave role. What about Joey Hauser sliding to the bench to try to find himself again and Malik Hall starting in the interim? I, I'm, I don't, I'm not saying I'm behind it, but it could be an option. Well, first I think of it, all, I love all the I love all the bad boys references you're bringing up today. I love it absolutely. <laughs> I, I actually I don't think that's a horrible idea, Luke. Like to be completely honest with you, because it, it does bolster your bench a little bit. You see what the effect like Rocket Watts going to the bench has had on this team and the offense in general. Because you got a guy who can you know go get you a bucket and you know those rotational minutes in the middle of the second half where like your starters quote unquote are resting. So, you know, Joey Hauser, especially if he's nursing a nagging injury, why not just put him on the bench for a little bit? The problem is right now it seems like it ain't broke, so why fix it after the two-game win streak after you saw how bad they looked for three games? I'll, I'll try to build my point a little bit more before Brendan uh, gives his uh, sense on it. But, you know, there was some praise for that 
uh, Rocket Watts, Joey Hauser pick and roll game, uh, you know, amongst the media and Izzo after that Rutgers game. Could you imagine those two going against someone else's twos? I mean, that might be, that might be a sneaky area where this team could really gain. I mean, it's such a deep team. You know, we, the rotation still has not figured itself out yet. I mean, maybe really putting Malik Hall. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, Malik Hall, Henry, and Kithier, you know, against other teams' front courts, that could be a pretty good defensive unit. And then, you know, a scoring punch off the bench and Hauser and Rocket Watts could play a lot of minutes. I mean, it'd be different for Izzo because, once again, it's kind of not what he usually does. But this is a different Izzo team. What do you think, Brendan? I think you can still have the advantages of Rocket Watts and Joey Hauser playing on the floor together against another team's twos without starting Malik Hall over Hauser. Because I think when you do when you do Hall – so you start Malik Hall over Hauser, you have Hall and Kithier download then, right? I think that is too small for some of the Big Ten. I think if you do that against a team like Purdue with Travion Williams, he's going to have eight points in the first five minutes, you know? Um, and I think you, you risk getting – digging yourself in too big of a hole – um, and then you got to bring in your reserves too quickly. And then your reserves are still going against the starters and stuff like that. Um, but I still think you can start Hall over Kithier um, and, and start small like that. And then you can still bring in Watts off the bench. And it's still, it's still Watts and Hauser. You can sub in Kithier for Hall or something like that. You know, And it's still, it's still Watts and Hauser at that pick and roll spot that is still going to work, I think. You know, I think some people comfortable enough in that role, you know. Some people before the season were talking about Joey Hauser playing extended minutes at the five. So, I mean, to Spartan fans, I don't think they would be opposed to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Tom Izzo definitely has his pick of uh, what, what, what do they call it? Pick the litter, pick the litter in the front court and just, you know, tweaking with these lineups and whatnot. But the Spartans are back on track after the two straight wins. They're going to try to keep it rolling against Purdue. So let's talk about this matchup, fellas. Uh, Purdue coming in on Friday. Uh, what should be the Spartans' primal focus in this one? Because you've seen them attack, you know, these Big Ten games differently so far. A little bit different game plan each time. So what should be the primal focus here against the Boilermakers? Travion Williams, Travion Williams, Travion Williams. Fun fact, Travion Williams, for those of you that don't know, is from Michigan. When I was in high school, I had a membership to the LA Fitness that's spitting distance that direction. I'm at home right now. The viewers on Zoom can't see. Uh, LA Fitness is spitting distance that direction from my house. And I would go over there and play on Friday nights and weekends and stuff after school uh, just to get a little bit of run in. Ran into Travion Williams there. And I'm, I'm in the gym just shooting around and I'm like, who the hell is this giant walking into the building? And we, I think we played three on three or 21 with him and a couple other guys. And he's a big dude and he's scary. And it, it's funny because at, at, a, at a school like Purdue and in Big Ten play, those big guys don't get to show out. But he can move a little. He can dribble and he can knock down his shot. But, um, you know, that's just a little fun fact. I ran in, in, into Travion Williams before I knew who he was. But he's a really good player in the big 10 and we saw it last year in his breakout game against Michigan and he's played really well this year. And I think it's going to be uh, Michigan state's first test against a true potent big in the big 10. I think when you think 
of the best bigs in the Big Ten, Trayvon Williams has to be in that conversation with the Coburns and the Garzas and the Dickinsons. And if they can shut him down, you know, if they can hold him to 10 and 10, I think that's a pretty good number. I think Michigan State's going to be in a good position. All right, Brendan, I can't do you one better, but my friend's high school friend is a walk-on on Michigan's basketball team. That'd be Ann Arbor Skyline's very own Brandon Wade, who spent a season or so at Holy Cross and then went to Michigan to walk on. But for, if Ryan Cole or Julian Mitchell or Natalie Kerwin or anybody else is listening out there, I think this is an impact is own first. Brendan's uh, Brendan, all three of us are going to be covering that game tomorrow. I don't think an impact is own member can ever say that they've played three on three little pickup hoops with an opposing player. I think that's a milestone. This might be cool. this. I might get the, the little Xbox achievement in the corner for this one. Yeah, yeah, you, Definitely. <laughs> you might get a little VC. Here, I'll, I'll give you one, Brendan. I'm going to give you the clap reaction on my Zoom Very screen. Good. Once again, this, this is out of line. Can't be viewed on the podcast. But, hey, big moment. Big moment for the brand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bad radio, but who cares, right? All right, all right, fellas. Who wins this one? Who wins it? How do they win it? Sloan, we'll go to you first. I think that Michigan State has got to prepare for an absolute rock fight. I agree with Brendan. It's Travion Williams all day. Maybe this is a good opportunity for them to run multiple bigs at Travion Williams, like Brendan was talking about, and really try to see if that is something that's going to work against a Coburn or a Dickinson or a Garza or a Trace Jackson Davis. I mean, there are so many good bigs in this conference that Michigan State is still yet to play rock fight. I think that no one gets to 70 in this game. I think that both, I mean, Purdue is a tough team who prides itself every single year on playing defense. So is this Michigan State team. You can never count out a Matt Painter coach team. I have the utmost respect for him. And this is not a game that anyone in the Big Ten, including Michigan State, can sleep on. But I have the Spartans winning this one on 66 to 52. I That might be too many points. That might be a little bit too big of a margin of victory for a couple of you guys, but I think that this is a, uh, another game where we praise this Michigan state defense following the game. So 66 52 brutal rock fight. I like your idea of a rock fight and I like your idea of no one gets to 70 Luke, except that this game's in East Lansing. If this game was at Mackey arena, I would wholeheartedly agree with you and, and give it like a 32 to 30 final score. <laughs> But what is uh, this? This isn't high school basketball anymore. <laughs> we all graduated high school. Becky Arena, dude. You never know over there. But um, I think I think because it's at the Breslin, I think uh, it's just going to be a little bit of a different atmosphere for Purdue. I think they're not going to have the same intensity. Obviously, they're still going to be really good. I think it's going to be a close game. I think Michigan State gets to 75 on free throws from like 71 or 72. Uh, I don't have Purdue over 70. I have them just below at 69. So I have 75, 69, Michigan State in a close one. So pretty close affairs for both of you guys. Actually, not not so much Sloan, but 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 you at least entertain the fact that this is going to be a pretty good matchup. I agree. I love the Matt Painter, Tom Izzo. Great rivalry in their own right. Um, I've got the Spartans winning 72 to 61. I think it's going to be a relatively low scoring first half. And then I think you're going to see these teams kind of figure each other out. And it's just going to be a little bit – it's going to be very physical, like you guys mentioned, uh, in the paint. And I just think that's where the Spartans' depth in the front court is going to do them one better than Purdue. 
and they're going to get this one done. But, Brendan, you bring up a great point. Purdue always seems to give Michigan State fits. Spartans should be very glad this game is being played in East Lansing. So anyone else got any final thoughts to add on the Purdue matchup? Here's a, here's a little bonus bullet point for when talking about Purdue. You know, the NCAA recently said that this NCAA tournament is going to play, be played all in Indiana. You know, to Michigan State's benefit could be playing, you know, those games at Mackey and at uh, the Assembly Hall. But I'm more excited about NCAA tournament games in Assembly Hall and Hinky Fieldhouse and uh, Mackey Arena. I mean, these are some good basketball barns. I'm really excited it's to see. historic. Like, basketball can you There's imagine no better, like no better state to have this can you imagine an elite eight matchup between texas and west virginia at assembly hall i mean yeah. i might not be alive to catch that <laughs> well, one i might they, be too they, excited they absolutely yeah. picked the right city i mean the right state and the right because if you're gonna do this in la like yeah that'd be cool but no one would care as much like the, the city itself wouldn't care as much you're putting this in indianapolis yeah. man it's gonna be absolutely crazy i hope we're able to go uh, we w- probably won't know till like two days before or something like that, but I hope we're able it's to funny. get it. I think it's Seth Davis, uh, Seth Davis or John Rothstein, one of those guys with corny lines all the time, um, says basketball was conceived in Kansas, but it was born in Indianapolis. <laughs> that's a good you one. That's, that's, and that's true. The game was made, created uh, by Naismith in Kansas, but you know, Indiana, that state is is the birthplace of basketball. That's it's got the best high school basketball year in and year out, the most history. And I thought this was a great decision. They talked about it. You know, we heard uh, rumors and inklings about it before this season and while the season was going on. But I'm glad this is official. That you know everything is going to be in the state of Indiana. There's nothing better than that. I gotta find you guys a video talking about Indiana being the state of basketball. Last year, Julian Mitchell and I covered Michigan State versus Indiana at Assembly Hall. Their pregame intro video is one of the most beautiful pieces of art I've ever seen in my life. I mean, Julian and I looked at each other and we were shaking. I mean, it was so gorgeous. <laughs> the, the scenes, the gyms that they were shooting around in and filming in and the history that they got in that video and some of these arenas and stuff. I mean, I would run through a wall for Archie Miller if I was playing for Indiana and I saw that video. I mean, I'm going to have to find that. It's electric. I'm not kidding. You know what? I, can, I can see this all in my head. And I, my guy, Julian, love him, miss him. I'm sure that that's like right up his alley. That kind of stuff is. He always loved the Michigan State intro video as well. So that's funny you bring that massive, up. Massive, massive shout out to Julian too. Massive shout out to massive. Julian. Friend, friend He's of the making pod, the big bucks. Legend of the pod. Maybe the greatest impact is on host ever. I didn't say it. You said it. <laughs> we'll see. Um, nonetheless, uh, we all stand in solidarity. Solidarity. Very excited that, and, and couldn't be couldn't be happier that this uh, the tournament will be held in Indianapolis. But we're gonna round out the show with our new favorite segment, Brendan's four point play. I butchered that. It's the four point play with Brendan Shabat. That is officially the title trademark. Don't use it because we're gonna sue you. We have big money over here on the Impact This Home Podcast. My, mom, my mom's a lawyer, and my mom's a lawyer, and my is sister really? on her on her bucket list is to sue somebody. So don't use okay. the name. Or we're right. coming for you. We need to get an intro mom's for this. Coming. Take a Dude, name. I, I, I'm excited. I feel like I need some music, and we were just talking yeah, we about gotta, it. We got to get an intro for this, like a little sound bite, like well, with a voiceover and some – yeah, we'll, we'll, we we'll need, make that we happen. Need the, 
it's the four point play, so we need the Blaha count that baby in a foul. Yeah, we do. We with do a little that's intro music. Make that that's happen. The best, that's go. the best one. Or the 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 call from Larry Johnson's four point play, and I think it was like the nineteen ninety nine playoffs or something with the Knicks want to play yeah. on a four point play. We need something like that. Uh, but we need but anywho, knowing what I know now, I'm probably gonna bring up the lawyer thing once a podcast. Don't don't mess with the impact this on because we got we got a mama's <laughs> bath over here on our side, but. Nonetheless, exactly. a four-point play with Brendan Shabbat. Two big matchups with big implications from the previous week and two in the upcoming few days slash week. Uh, Brendan, what you got for us today? I'm really excited for this one. And we were just talking about the tournament being held in Indianapolis. These games are huge for the tournament, in my opinion. So I think that's a really good segue. Uh, let's start with last week. A huge – now, guys, I'm not sure how you, how you two are going to feel about this. I have – a hot take this year and you know everybody's talking about how good the big 10 is and there's nine teams in the top 25 and blah 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 my hot take for the 2020 2021 college basketball season i think i know what the you're big saying. 12 is a better conference than the big 10 there's well, you saying from five, top to bottom or you think I'll, I'll let's just just elaborate go for it i think i think top to bottom and i think the tops I think the top of the Big 12 is way better than the top of the Big 10. That's fair. There's, there's five Big 12 teams in the top 15 of not only the AP, but also Ken Palm. And I think there's a lot more Final Four favorites near the top of that Big 12 than there are near the top of the Big 10, you know? No, so that's, that's my I, I guess right in, in my opinion, I would say the Big 10's better from top to bottom, but I think the Big 12 top heavy is a lot, a lot more talented. But well, that's just one man's yeah. opinion. This is your segment, yeah. man. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to rain on your parade. I'll give it back I just, to I just wanted to, I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that. But yeah, so speaking of the Big 12, huge implications. A big surprise: Texas goes to Kansas and absolutely whoops the Jayhawks, 84-59. Texas had five scores in double digits. Courtney Ramey led them all with 18. I've been really impressed with the Longhorns. They're up to number four in the AP right now. I think. That's a team you've got to watch for March. I think they're now, right now, at this exact moment in time, a Final Four favorite. You know, they're obviously they're the number four team in the country, but just the way they're playing, they played really good against UNC, beat them earlier. I think that was in the Maui Invitational, but it wasn't actually in Maui. Um, they played really well in that. I was really impressed by that. A huge blowout. I didn't see that coming. Well, I try to watch as much. When I saw the final, I was like – does Kevin Durant still play for Texas? Like what, what yeah. year is it right now? You know, I was, I know. I mean, crazy. I mean, and, and, and that's on the road too. That's at yeah. Kansas, you know, and you know, I, the Longhorns are just a team to watch out for. I try to watch as much big 12 basketball as possible. If you're watching big 12 basketball, you got to watch Texas this year. There is one reason why Texas is good. And that would be follicles. I'm talking yes. about hair. Yes. Shaka smart was bald previously at Texas. And a good coach they, ball, a good bald coach. Good bald coach. Good and bald. then he came to Texas, and he was kind of a bad bald coach, and Texas wasn't very good. He's got the lettuce back, and Texas might win a national title this year. I think that is why Texas is good. I, I, we don't even need to talk about what goes on. But in the, we don't need to talk about the X's and O's. Very interesting. If Texas, if Texas wins a national title – I think Shaka Smarts, just his hair, needs a gold plaque in their basketball building, wherever it is. 
Nice. But nonetheless, we, we move on. on burnt that. orange. I was going to throw that in there too. <laughs> Spray Bad, it. good. Yeah. yeah. I think it's electric. Some we, people hate it. We move on to another huge blog, this time in the Big Ten. Uh, you know, this is being recorded Thursday, 6 p.m., January 7th, for those of you listening. This game happened last night, Minnesota at Michigan. Now, I've been a little iffy on the Wolverines, and that was until last night. You know, they really haven't gone on the road. They haven't played a whole lot of people, you know, nobody really huge. They struggled against Penn State. They struggled against some other non-conference teams earlier in the year. They went to overtime with Oakland. But last night, they they proved me wrong for sure. Hunter Dickinson, 28-8. and eight. He's going. He's got four freshmen of the weeks in the Big Ten. He's going to have five after this week. Michigan just looks really good right now. You know, we mentioned them earlier in the pod. I think they're going to stumble at some point. It's not to me. It's not if, but when. But man, eighty-two to fifty-seven win uh, against the Golden Gophers, who whooped up on Michigan State, beat Iowa. You know, this Michigan team was kind of expected to be, I'd say, upper middle class of the Big Ten prior to the season they're making a name for themselves as, as Big Ten contenders right now. I've watched a lot of this Michigan basketball team as an almost Ann Arbor native. I mean, the two things I think of when I think of Michigan, length defensively, a lot of length defensively. Franz Wagner, Isaiah Livers starting at those – Isaiah Livers. Yeah, Isaiah Livers. What am I thinking? Starting at those forward spots. And then Hunter Dickinson in the middle who's 7-2, a lot of length defensively. And then they just have guys who can flat out score the basketball. I mean, every player on the floor for them at every moment can get a bucket for you. And that's a massive X factor. I mean, they ran a good Minnesota team out of the building in this game. I watched a pretty fair amount of it. Yeah. You know, University of Michigan might be a name that's around the top of the, not only the top of the big 10, top of college basketball world moving forward. They got the number one team or number one uh, recruit, How am I supposed to say this? The number one recruiting class in the country coming in next year right now. So we're going to have to watch out for for the in-state rival, Michigan. Uh, Back to Big 12. So we're Big 12, Big 10. Now we're back to Big 12. Coming up this uh, Sunday, or no, Saturday, uh, I'm back on the Longhorns again, guys. Texas, this time they travel to West Virginia, 1 p.m. Matt Coleman and Greg Brown have been really great. Uh, for West Virginia, Miles McBride and Derek Culver. Big news for the Mountaineers and Bob Huggins, too. No more Oscar Shibway. He was one of my favorites in the Big 12, a huge big guy for West Virginia. Uh, he originally said he was taking a break from the program, almost as if to opt out, kind of, for personal reasons. News came out, I think, four or five days later that he's entered the transfer portal. Does not have a destination yet, but that's a big loss for the Mountaineers uh, coming into this game. They're one of my favorites as like a sweet 16 elite eight team that uh, will get you some points in whatever pick pool you're in. Uh, so I think that's a big game to watch, you know? Yeah. The Mountaineers too, a lot of respect for Bob Huggins and that team this year. You talk about a tough as nails team defensively, you know, press Virginia, but I watched them play uh, Oklahoma state and Stillwater against the presumptive future Detroit Piston Cade Cunningham they were down 12, 13 points in that game. They came all the way back to win. That showed a lot of fight. I, I was impressed with the effort. That's a lot of fight from the Mountaineers, and that's a great point. But Oklahoma State, big sleeper for you March Madness fans. They're seven points away from being undefeated and probably a top five team in the country. They lost two games by three points and one game by one point. 
So Oklahoma State, Cade Cunningham, future Piston, watch out for them in March. I'm just saying that's a team that can like a Syracuse a couple of years ago who was like an 11 seed and came out of nowhere. Yeah. I could see Oklahoma State doing something like that. So just keep an eye out for them. You know, we're, we're getting into Big Ten play, so things might change. And guys, my college basketball, in my opinion, is the best sport in the world. I don't think there's anything better. I don't think there's anything better than March Madness. The NBA is great. The level is better. But just the atmosphere that college brings, the amount of teams, March Madness, there's nothing better than college basketball. And it is games like this that are the reason. Okay, January 11th, the Ramblers of Loyola, Chicago. Another tidbit, I played against their high school team. This is really weird. Okay, so obviously everybody remembers when Loyola, Chicago and – I think it was Sister Jean was her name. They went to the Final Four. They were like an 11 seed that came out of nowhere. When I was in high school at U of D Jesuit, shout out Pat Donnelly, shout out Cassius Winston, a lot of people, we traveled to Chicago. You know, we would go on road trips to play out-of-state teams and get better and stuff like that. And we played Loyola Chicago, the high school. Really weird. Same exact colors, same exact jersey. They were also the Ramblers. They played the exact same style of basketball, hostile environment. We ended up losing the game. There? Did they have a sister Jean? I did not see a sister Jean. I saw <laughs> they a had sister Mary. They had sister Mary. Trent. I was going to say, they had, they, had, saw, they had like an off-brand sister Jean. Yeah, I saw no, a priest no one who was the her. president of their school, which was a common thing for Jesuit private schools. We had a priest as our president too. But um, yeah, so that's just an interesting tidbit. But Loyola Chicago, Missouri Valley Conference, they're 7-2 and two this season right now. Their two losses come to Wisconsin by 13, and Richmond, who's another good team, they lost to Richmond by two. Loyola Chicago is a good team to look out for, and they're traveling to the Bulldogs of Drake, 13-0. and 0. Love the Drake. Seinfeld reference for those of you that understand it. Drake is 13-0. and 0. The Bulldogs are playing great. This is their first real Missouri Valley Conference test. Um, Drake beat Kansas State earlier in the year. You know, that's a Division One opponent that's really good. Uh, Cameron Crutwig for the Ramblers, he's averaging 16 and 6. Drake's got three people averaging double digits right now Shaquan Hemphill, Roman Penn, DJ Wilkins. Now, I know some of you viewers at home are like, okay, what is this guy talking about? The Loyola Chicago Ramblers and the Drake Bulldogs. But just trust me, this is a game you don't want to miss. These are two teams. You could quite possibly see in the, in the tournament that if you see them, they're big picks to make a first round upset. And if you're, if you're a college basketball fan, I think this is going to be a really good game. This is the number one offense and, and number one defense in Loyola Chicago against the number two offense and number two defense in Drake in the Missouri Valley going against each other. Drake's the best three point shooting team. Loyola Chicago is the second best along with the best free throw shooting. And I think the best field goal percent team in the Missouri Valley. This has all the makings of a great game. If you can watch it, figure out how. I'm very excited for this one. You're just trying to help everyone's bracket. Like for everyone, everyone listening to this, they, they want big ticket games, go home. Like, like we, need right, to, we, got, we got the guru over here no, no, no. trying to help you. We, we, we are underground college basketball. Here. When, when, we, when we your bracket is busted in April, don't say Brendan didn't try to help you because he did. When, when, when the Drake Bulldogs beat a team like Oklahoma State. Well, no, no, I just talked about them. Sorry, not Oklahoma State. When the Drake Bulldogs beat a team like Purdue in the first round, don't come crying to me because I said it's going to happen. I'm just saying. You know, shout out, 
Shout out John Rothstein. He's really inspired me to watch like lesser conference games like Drake this year. CBS Sports Network, a lot of those games are on there. So I've been tuning into more of them. But Rothstein, friend of CBS Sports Network. Rothstein is a friend of the podcast and he's inspired me to watch more uh, lower tier basketball, which is very, very quality. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll get Rothstein on uh, in a few weeks. And that, and this is why college basketball is the best sport in the world. You can turn on any game at any time and you're going to watch some quality basketball and it might be a close game, you know? Yeah. And, and, and we love it. We wallow in it. We're doing snow angels in it as it is now, 15 degrees in Michigan and we are finally hit with snow now that Christmas is done, of course, but guys, do we have any closing thoughts before we wrap this one up? I can't say put a bow on anymore because Christmas already happened, but any final thoughts? A plus, this is an A plus podcast performance, top tier analysis all around. I'm, I'm, I could run through a wall right now after doing this podcast. We're clicking. Fantastic pod. We're clicking now. Six episodes in, I think we're hitting our stride. It's fun. I don't want to jinx anything. I think, I think, I think Trent, who is late for his family Zoom, uh, scheduled for 6 p.m. Those of you listening, it's 6.08 right now. I think he's going to come in to this family Zoom with a lot of energy, and they're going to kick him out because he's going to be too excited. Yeah, I got to go talk to Grandma. I got to go talk to Grandma. But anyways, Trent Bally, Brendan Shabbat, Luke Sloan, we are the Impact Zone. Very excited to talk to you guys next week. Tune in to 88.9 in the uh, Greater Lansing area on Friday. Myself and Eric Bach will be on the call. For Michigan State Purdue, stream it in the app. Tell a friend about the podcast. Tell two friends about the podcast. Do what you got to do. We will see you guys next week. Take care.